come this evening to study this uh, second chapter of Jonah. And so you can keep that open as we uh, begin that uh, now together. Our theme this evening is the theme of repentance. This morning we saw Jonah in his rebellion. Tonight we see him in his repentance. And that's what this second chapter of Jonah is all about repentance. Repentance was what Jesus came preaching at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 uh, summarizes the, the stock message of Jesus, the message he preached wherever he went. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance in some ways was also the word that kick-started the uh, the sweeping reforms in Europe 500 years ago, what we now look back on as the Reformation. Uh, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, and the first of them said the Christian life is about daily repentance. But what is repentance? Well, if any of you grew up in the boys' brigade or possibly the girls' brigade, don't know if they have it in the girls' brigade, I think they do, but in the, certainly in the boys' brigade, when your officer shouted about turn, what did you do? You turned 180 degrees and you walked, you marched in the opposite direction of the way you had just been marching. You stop in your tracks and you turn around. And that's exactly what repentance is. Repentance is turning around and going in the opposite direction from the way you have been going. And in Jonah chapter 2, at least spiritually speaking, that's what Jonah does. It'll be chapter 3 before we see him finally going where he's supposed to go physically. But spiritually, chapter 2 marks his repentance. We saw the mistakes he made this morning in chapter 1. How he rebelled against God and literally went the opposite way from the way that he was supposed to go. But God had been very gracious to Jonah. He stopped him in his tracks with that storm at sea. He miraculously provides the fish to swallow him alive and eventually to literally spew him out and put him back where he's supposed to be going. And so now in chapter 2, we see Jonah turning away from his rebellion and turning towards God in renewed faith and repentance. Repentance is the heart of Christian living. As we receive God's word, it exposes our sin. We come to hate our sin. We turn away from our sin. Healthy Christians are repenting and repentant Christians. So are you, am I, repentant? Well, Jonah chapter 2 helps us to answer that question. You've maybe seen from time to time adverts on social media or elsewhere online inviting you to take part in some silly survey. Uh, by answering certain questions, you're supposed to find out what body type you are or what kind of personality you have or what character from Star Trek you're most like. Uh, and so you just fill out this little survey and you'll know. Well, Jonah chapter 2 provides us, I believe, with uh, a, few, a few ways of discovering whether or not we are repentant people. Some questions, I think, can summarize what we learned from Jonah chapter 2. And answer that question for us. And so the first question that chapter 2 provides for us. As we consider whether or not we are repentant. Have you been where Jonah was? Have you been where Jonah was? And I don't mean of course have you been in the belly of a fish. Because none of us have. But hopefully you'll see what I mean as we go forward. 
Genesis 1.17 tells us that God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. And the word appoint or provide, very important word in this short little book. God keeps on appointing things all throughout this book because he's the one in control. He appointed the storm in chapter 1. He hurled the storm at Jonah and now he has appointed a fish to swallow Jonah and save him from that storm. And of course it sounds completely bizarre to us that a fish swallowed Jonah alive. And many people, even some professing Christians, try to sort of explain this away or to ignore it. That They suggest, for example, this is just maybe a metaphor that Jonah really just almost drowned and maybe felt as though something like this happened or, or it's some sort of symbol in the book. But that's just not how it's written in the Hebrew language. Uh, And it's not only here in the book of Jonah that we're told that a fish swallowed him. The Lord Jesus, you remember the reading we had this morning from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so Jesus would be in the grave for three days. And so according to Jesus himself, Jonah's fish was as real as Jesus' grave. We believe in a God of the miraculous. We don't have more time to go into defending this but we believe in a God who has spoken the world into existence we believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead there is nothing too hard for the Lord and he miraculously appointed this fish and Jonah clearly believes that it was by God's grace that he found himself in the belly of a fish rather than dead in the grave look at verse 1 of chapter 2 I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried Sheol was the name of the land of the dead or the grave in the ancient world the word Sheol appears very often in the Old Testament quite often in the Psalms the land of the dead and Jonah says that's where I was or that's where I was about to go I was I was going to die in the sea Before I prayed to the Lord. It says in verse 5. The waters closed in on me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I was trapped he says. I was tangled literally at the foundations of the earth. The bottom of the ocean. That's where Jonah was. It says in verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. People in Jonah's day believed that there was a huge gate at the entrance to the land of the dead. And once you pass through the gate. There would be no coming back. Jonah says I was, I was almost through the door. I was almost gone. And the other thing of course is that. People in the ancient world dreaded the sea. And we've touched on this in our studies in Revelation. In the past. And God willing we'll come back to that. In a few weeks time. But Revelation is a book of course. Of pictures and symbols. And the sea in Revelation is almost always a symbol of chaos and fear and death. And whether you are a land dweller, as the vast majority of the Israelites like Jonah were, or you're someone comfortable in the sea, a sailor, to be falling down into the depths, unable to see the light, it's probably a worse nightmare for many of us. So where was Jonah? 
even before he was in the belly of the fish, Jonah, friends, was brought to an end of himself. He was brought to the point where he saw where his sin and rebellion would lead him to the grave. He'd been running and rebelling. He thought he was in total control. Then all of a sudden, in the providence of God, he's staring death in the face. And that was where God wanted him. Because that was when Jonah finally repented. God wanted Jonah to see that sin leads to death. And loved ones, if God chooses to, he will bring you and I to an end of ourselves. To get us to stop rebelling because he loves us. Because he wants us to repent. Remember the prodigal son. It was only when he was in, in the muck with the pigs. When he, when he stank. When he was out of money and out of friends. That he finally repented. Will it take something as disastrous as, as, disastrous as that for you or me to repent? Some of you have maybe read or heard the story of Rosaria Butterfield or uh, maybe you've heard of her. She, she had been a professor at a liberal arts university in America, a tenured professor in a long-term relationship with another woman, absolutely bought into the, the feminist and LGBT ideologies and lifestyle, but God saved her. She, he, he entirely changed her and uh, she became the wife of a pastor. Great, sounds fantastic, great story, but it was not easy. And in her book, Rosaria describes the whole process of her conversion as being, I think she describes it at one point as being like a train wreck. Everything in her life turned upside down. How she understood herself. How she understood her identity, her, her relationships. All of it totally upended because she had been so far away from the Lord in the way that she was living and believing. But by God's grace, she was brought to that point of conviction and repentance. Do we see the ugliness and seriousness of our sin quickly, friends? Or does God have to shake us and shock us and upend us before we will repent? It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict a sinner of sin. It's a, it's a supernatural, miraculous thing. The Bible describes us as being dead in our transgressions and sins, in our rebellion. If we become bothered by our sin, it's only because the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, has made us alive and changed us and revived us. But nonetheless, even as, even as believers, how quickly do we heed the Spirit when that sense of conviction comes upon us? How seriously do we take confession and repentance of sin? Talk to some Christians and, and and they've shared experiences how, of how maybe growing up with someone or maybe being married to someone, they have never heard that, that person or those people say sorry. That should not be the case. Christian people, each one of us at times, in any of our relationships, have to say sorry. Whether it's to a spouse, whether it's boys and girls saying it to your mum and dad, or whether mum and dad, sometimes it's even we have to say it to our children. How quickly do we repent? 
Confession of sin shouldn't just be a tagline to our prayers either. Forgive me for all of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. That shouldn't always be how we confess our sins. It should be specific and honest and thorough repenting of sin. Specific sins. We don't have to include that every single time we pray. I'm not suggesting that when we begin our midweek prayer meetings again in September that uh, you, you have to come every week confessing specific sins for all the church to hear. But when we do confess our sins in our own private daily prayers or, or maybe with a good close friend or a spouse, it should be specific and earnest and, and not a dreary routine. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. What does it actually mean that God is just? That he's justified in doing what is right in forgiving our sins? How is that even possible? It's possible, of course, because Christ has taken the punishment that our sins deserve. Our sin doesn't need to be punished twice. If Christ has paid the price and our trust is in him, God is justified in, in forgiving us. But nonetheless, friends, have we been where Jonah was? Have we been brought to an end of ourselves? Have we been made to realize sin leads to death? And have we become ready at last to repent? Have you been where Jonah was? Secondly, do you look where Jonah looked? Do you look where Jonah looked? Often in the best stories or the best dramas, whether on the page or on the screen, there's that great moment where all seems lost and then a hero appears. The saviour comes and all eyes turn to him and uh, the music swells and there is fresh hope of deliverance when the people look at the one who will save them. And Jonah here describes his turning to look from death to a saviour. From imminent death to sudden salvation. Verse 1, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to God. Finally, by the way. Finally, Jonah is praying to God. When he heard God's call upon his life. When he arrived in Joppa. Even when the storm began. Jonah didn't pray. Now, at last, at an end of himself. Jonah prays. And look what he prays. Look at how he finally gives glory and honour to God. Verse 2. He answered me. He says in verse 2. You heard my voice. Verse 3. You cast me into the deep. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah accepts that God has been in control this entire time. God sent the storm. God had Jonah hurled into the sea. God sent the waves crashing over his head, but God also heard and answered Jonah's prayer. Jonah looks to God. And notice where exactly Jonah is looking. Verse 4. I am driven away from your sight, he says, yet I shall again look where? Upon your holy temple. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, where? In your holy temple. Now, Jonah could, of course, be thinking of of heaven as God's dwelling place. 
But I think as well what he has in mind here is uh, the, the place on earth, the temple of Jerusalem, the temple of God, where God's faithful pilgrims would go to worship. Why did it give Jonah hope to think of that temple? What, what good is a building thousands of miles away when he's sinking towards death in the ocean? Well, what was, what was inside the temple? Inside the temple was the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, the perfect law of God that nobody, including Jonah, could ever perfectly keep. But over the Ark, over the commandments, the law of God was the mercy seat. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the High Priest of Israel would enter the Holy of Holies. He would offer up sweet-smelling incense and he would sprinkle some of the blood of the uh, sacrifice for the people's sin onto the mercy seat in which God's law was kept. And the message was clear. The blood of the sacrifice covers the people's sin. It was the means God had appointed and provided for sin to be forgiven. That's what Jonah saw by faith when he thought of the temple. He looked away from himself and his sin and he looked to God who had graciously provided a way for that sin to be covered over. He saw the law which he could never keep and he saw the grace that he could, that was freely provided. We don't look to a temple and to sacrifices in Jerusalem today because of course Jesus is a better temple. And his blood is the perfect blood that doesn't need to keep being shed, but which does keep on covering over our sin. Unlike Jonah and unlike us, Jesus has kept the commands of God perfectly and then paid the penalty for those who haven't kept the commands perfectly. And unlike Jonah, Jesus did not turn around and go in the opposite direction when the cost of obedience to God became clear to him. Instead, the Gospels tell us that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face like a flint. He fixed his gaze determinedly and unwaveringly and obediently upon the place that he was going to have to go. The cross. He counted the cost and made his way to the cross. And that is where you and I can look, friends. That is where we must look day and daily when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. When we feel that knot in our stomach, that sense of guilt, when we realise that we have been rebelling and running, perhaps in some particular area of life, we don't have to just shove it all down inside, and uh, like, like when you're, you're trying to get a sleeping bag into that impossibly small little cover and hope it all just stays there. We look at the grace, we, we, we look at the atonement provided for us on the cross, and we repent. Notice Jonah's prayer in verse 7 is a response to God's grace. Look what he says. This is very important to understand. He says, I remembered the Lord. Remembered is a covenant word in the Old Testament. We've seen that language used uh, as we read through, as we, as we read through Exodus. 
that God remembered his promises to Abraham. That he saw his people in need. And here Jonah remembers. He remembers God's promises. He remembers God's grace and he repents. Maybe you've never stopped rebelling against God. You've never asked him to forgive you for your sin. Perhaps you fear rejection. I've waited too long. I've left it too late. No. You're free to cry out to him today. He has already provided Jesus life and death on the cross. The full and final sacrifice of sin. Look upon that in faith. Today while you hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. Maybe you are a Christian. You have cried out in repentance and faith. But nonetheless you too have been excusing some particular sin. Failing to address some particular sin for a long time. Maybe you've begun thinking that God won't forgive you this time. Maybe even though you come to a church that preaches salvation by grace. uh, And you would say you believe in salvation by grace. But in actual practical reality you're living according to salvation by works. You're thinking once I've done this or done that or uh, provided this or done that service in the church or helped that person. Then maybe I can come and ask for God's forgiveness. Christians, stop that. Stop trying to do things and just see one thing. Paul told the Galatians, before your eyes, Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Very vivid language from Paul. You've seen it with your own eyes, he says to the Galatians. It's not that they were there at the foot of the cross that day. It's that Paul had preached it to them. And so with the eye of faith, see Christ on the cross. See his blood shed. Hear him say, it is finished. Remember the Lord as Jonah did. And just repent and be done with that sin. Have you been where Jonah was? Do you look where Jonah looked? And thirdly and finally, do you declare what Jonah declared? Do you declare what Jonah declared? Look at verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. At the beginning of the book, Jonah bitterly and stubbornly refused to serve God at all. But just look at the change in him. Verse 9. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Jonah is saying that he will now gladly, with a thankful heart, worship, serve and obey God. And he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. God's people would say that each and every time they came to publicly worship him together. What it means is this is not the only time that we're going to do this. What I have vowed, what I should give to the Lord, I will give to the Lord. I I give him my worship now. I'll come back the next time and I'll give him my worship again. This is not the Jonah of chapter 1. This is a different Jonah. This is a repentant Jonah. And we can sum up his repentance with three things. And this is what repentance always involves. A change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of behavior. 
And for anything, for, for any time to be a time of genuine repentance in our lives or in the lives of someone else, those three things are all needed. A change of mind, first of all. We think differently about our sin. It's no longer excusable. It's no longer minor. It's no longer something that can be dealt with later. We think differently about it. It's a change of heart. We're broken hearted over our sin. We're not casual about it anymore. We, we don't think that this is something that's okay. We think that this is something despicable. And we want to be rid of it. And that leads to a change of behaviour. We confess it. We repent of it. And we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, bring changes into our lives in that particular area. We stop living uh, for, out of concern for ourselves. We begin to live to the glory of God. And that's what we see in Jonah here. And we'll see more of it in chapter 3, how he goes where he is supposed to go and he does what he is supposed to do. But look what he says, look what he declares in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's God's gift. It's God's accomplishment. It's what God provides for us, not what we provide for ourselves. Because what has Jonah contributed to his salvation? Nothing. It's only because of all his mistakes that he needed to be saved. He's earned, he has in no way earned his salvation. All he has done is make a mess. God has rescued him. God has been gracious to him. God has done it all. Salvation is of the Lord. In 1647, King Charles I was taken to Carisbrook Castle on the Isle of Wight and imprisoned. He had been defeated in the English Civil War. But Charles still had a lot of allies, of course, on the outside. And on one occasion, some of his close allies, they arranged an escape for him from the castle. Everything was ready. They had a boat to take him to shore. Armed men would escort him to a safe and secure destination. Allies were waiting on the coast. His friends had taken care of everything. But on the night that he was to leave his cell, Charles couldn't quite get his window open. He had been provided with a silk cord that he was going to use to climb down the castle walls, but he couldn't get out the window. Everyone's sitting, waiting, looking at their watch, wondering where he is. And equally, friends, if God had done 95% of what was needed for us to be saved, we would have no salvation. We can do nothing to save ourselves, to get out of our prison cell of sin and death. That's why Jonah gladly declares here salvation belongs to the Lord repentance is only possible because God has made it possible he's made us alive he's sprung us from our cell he by his appointed means has saved us from our sin and the only right response to all of that is what Jonah declares here salvation belongs to the Lord is that that where You and I are looking for our salvation. Jonah says as well in verse 8 that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Everyone is looking somewhere for salvation, purpose, 
hope, fulfilment. Either we are looking to the cross of Jesus Christ or we are looking to someone or something else. And the people that we're going to go out and offer these invitations to this week and next week, they are looking to someone or something else. Whether it's job security, whether it is meaningful relationships in their family, their marriage, whether it's just getting all the things that are on their Amazon wish list, the idols of the world, friends, will fail us and disappoint us. But unlike the world, God offers us a gift. And all we have to do is take it and repent and begin living for his name and his glory. This week, I don't know who you're going to meet. Don't know what you have in your diaries. Don't know what struggles that might be lying ahead for you. But I do know that at some point this week, you and I are going to have to confess our sins. More than likely too, we'll have to admit that life is beyond our control. In those times, friends, will we quickly come to an end of ourselves? Or will we just stubbornly keep running? Will you look to God trusting that he has graciously provided a means of forgiving your sin? And will you worship the God of your salvation? Have you been where Jonah was? Have you looked where Jonah looked? Do you declare what Jonah declares? In closing, Jonah was as good as dead for three days and three nights because of his sin. Jesus was dead for three days and three nights because of our sin. Jonah looked to a temple that would eventually be destroyed. We look to Jesus who was destroyed but who has been resurrected never to be destroyed again. Jonah declared the way of salvation belongs to God. Jesus declared that he is the salvation sent by God. Jesus came and preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message that our friends and our family and our neighbours need to hear. And if we need to repent this evening, friends, we will find the same God of grace ready to provide for us, just as he provided for Jonah. Amen.